You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. In today's feature report, we revisit our first edition of Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate on the housing crisis. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Ron Ede, publisher of the Limestone Post magazine, will be live in the studio to discuss the Deep Dive collaboration in light of WFHB's Fall Fun Drive. More following today's feature. Up next, the first installment of Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. You're about to hear the first edition of Deep Dive from February of this year. Since then, Deep Dive was announced as a finalist for Journalism Collaboration of the Year with the Institute for Nonprofit News. We hope you enjoyed this archived edition of Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. This is the first installment of Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. This month, we are looking into the housing crisis. Next month, we will address possible solutions. The housing crisis we face is complex, but can be broken down into three main categories. First, there is a high demand for rentals, since Bloomington is a college town. Second, there's a lack of housing options or housing supply due to the 2008 recession, which led to contractors and builders leaving the market and the ones that remained focused mainly on luxury homes to ensure a profit. Third, there is a lack of land available for building outside of Bloomington due to the region's unique karst topography and rural zoning requirements. According to Bloomington's 2020 housing survey, over 60% of renting households and nearly 30% of owner-occupied households in Bloomington are cost-burdened, meaning approximately one-third of their income goes toward their rent and or mortgage. Mary Morgan, who is the Director of Housing Security for the Heading Home Initiative, said that 50% of Monroe County residents are cost-burdened. At the Bloomington Tenant Resource Fair, Morgan shared the impact the current housing situation, high demand, low supply, and high rental prices, has on residents. And we're not unique. Um, This is a national problem. Um, Cost burden residents, over 50% of Monroe County households living in rental housing are spending more than 30% of their income on rent. That's kind of a staggering number. Um, This population is most vulnerable to fall into homelessness, 
Um, there is a lack of affordable units available for rent. There are a whole host of problems related to that. Uh, landlords are leased, are, are becoming increasingly unlikely to accept vouchers. Um, we have a lot of work to do in that regard. And without intervention, a lot of people who are housing insecure will fall into homelessness. According to Bloomington Housing and Neighborhood Development Director John Zodi, Bloomington has a housing supply problem. He said the city can't keep up with the amount of residents who come to live here. Zodi attributed the influx of people to organizations like Indiana University, Crane, and Catalent. Yes, I mean, I think certainly in the city, we are on the same page and we need more units. We are, you know, aggressively trying to develop the Hopewell Project, which can add 800 to 1,000 more units of all different types of housing, not just affordable. And so I, I believe, so I've never heard, yes, we have enough housing, yes, we have enough affordable housing. I, I think um, when you have uh, big employers who are moving, you know, you got IU, uh, you've got uh, Crane nearby, you've got Catalan, who's you know, still adding uh, jobs. Um, you've got that constant influx and people looking and people moving, right? So people, the idea is you don't always stay in your first house forever. You know, I'm an example. I bought a house, owned it for five years, then I sold it and got married and now I have kids. And, you know, the idea is that you you move from one house and you build some wealth and maybe move to another one. And the important thing is, is having that supply where people can do that because then that house that you moved out of that may be lower priced is open to someone who needs a more affordable approach and you're able to move to, you know, it's that migratory uh, thing that's important. And that's, that's hard to track and it's hard for me to do anything but give you anecdotes about that. But it is true. I mean, I, I can speak from personal experience and, if a, if a IU hires staff and faculty, you know, they're very interested in where they'll live. We've talked to a number of employers in town who say, yes, we need housing for our workforce, not just people who might qualify for that, that federally subsidized housing, but people in that workforce housing category. And so there are, you know, there are pretty active conversations about how to provide more workforce housing. What is that middle, call it middle, missing middle housing is what some people will say, but that's, it's not market, not generally market rate. It's not traditionally affordable, it's that middle. Zodi explained that the housing type in Bloomington is primarily comprised of rental units. He said the city works to maintain the quality of the housing stock to the best of their ability. Bloomington is a two-thirds rental community. And as a college town, we have a lot of interest in making sure that our housing is safe and that our housing stock is of quality. And so it's really important that the department and the city government as a whole uh, do as much outreach as we can on, on making sure that people know uh, what that information is, uh, what they need to know as a renter, what they may need to know as a property owner uh, or a manager. And so we like to have those, uh, all those folks work together. Zodi said that since Bloomington is a college town, they need more rental housing and it needs to be affordable. What are we doing to provide more rental housing, not just more units, but provide access to rental housing because Bloomington is about a two-thirds rental community. Clearly, the university plays a huge role in that with the students, but um, we're one of the top or most expensive rental markets in the state in the top five. Zodi also said that although housing prices going up is a good thing for those who are interested in selling their house, for individuals looking to buy one in the city, they are struggling or are simply unable to keep up with the rising prices. You know, we need more affordable housing for a lot of reasons, and I think approaching that um, strategically is important. I think that's what the city's been doing for um, you know the last 
last six years and more um, as um, housing prices have gone up over the late you know, we're starting to see them uh, sort of stabilize right now, but um, housing prices have, been, have gone up. Um, so it's been a good market for sellers. Um, buyers has been tough, especially a buyer that may not have, be in a position to uh, you know, pay asking price or be in a position to uh, forego an inspection or offer cash or whatever. According to the 2020 housing survey, 60% of renters in the city are housing insecure. Zodi explained what housing insecure means. And sort of the definition of that, um, one of the definitions, let me say, is somebody that's paying more than 30% of their monthly income on housing. They could be designated as housing insecure, right? You're paying just too much for housing with everything else you have going on. And so we have a good number of people uh, in, in Monroe County and Bloomington that are, that are doing that. Zodi said that the housing study revealed that Bloomington needs about 2,300 more housing units to provide for the demand. Our housing study that we did a couple of years ago um, calls for a, a lot of additional units of both rental and owner-occupied housing. You know, housing is uh, uh, such a huge component of someone's general security that there are just, you know, we when you're trying to identify a housing gap, you know, how many more units do we need? That number moves. Uh, but the housing study said we needed, um, let's say, about 2,300 more units by by 2030. So that was done in 2020. Zodi said the city is sensitive to the fact that individuals are unable to find a place to live within their budget. Yeah, and so we've got to figure out how to make those rents. You know, it's, it's people who are finding, you know, can you find a, a place to live for seven, eight hundred dollars a month? And and um, that's sort of that threshold that people look at is, you know, whatever the, the, the number moves based on somebody's income and situation, how many bedrooms they need. So that's, you know, we're always sensitive to that. And can they, you know, the voucher, the uh, Section 8 voucher list is, you know, there's a waiting list for that. And we are trying to figure out how to get more, um, more Section 8 tenants in the pipeline. When asked how he would like to see the problem addressed, Zodi said he would like to see more housing being built so that he can tell the residents who called asking for help that there are options available for them. <clears throat> more of it and the ability to always say, when someone calls my office and say, I need this type of housing, say, here it is, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it is. It's very, you know, this is about, at the end of the day, this is about individual people who need places to live. And when someone calls your office and says, I, I am paying this, I can't pay it anymore. I've got kids, I'm commuting from here. And, you know, uh, that's a, a hit to the pocket. Yeah, it's that it, you're dealing with real people that have a real sense of urgency here. And so that's kind of always mm. riding on my brain and that of a lot of people here. I just can't forget that, right? So I think those are the two things. Like, a, here, here it is. And drive down the street and you see it going up, right? CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Monroe County, Wendy Goodlett, said that it's expensive to build houses in this community. Goodlett attributes the high cost of construction to the rising toll of infrastructure, the lack of suitable land for development in Monroe County, and the value of labor. She said that the cost of constructing homes in Monroe County has increased, and she's seen it firsthand through her work at Habitat for Humanity. Pre-pandemic, I think we were in the probably eighty-five dollars to $95,000 range um, per house, closer to 85. 
Um, and now we're at 105 just for the materials and labor for the house. And, and keeping in mind that most of our labor is free. You know, we pay an electrician, we pay a plumber, we pay for the foundation work, and we pay for drywall. And the rest of it we do on our own with volunteers. Goodlett outlined that the concept of the single family home as the American dream has changed as land becomes more scarce. She said that it's less challenging for local construction companies to build high-end custom homes on large lots compared to building single-family homes. She stressed that Habitat is trying to provide higher-quality housing in response to the conditions she has witnessed due to the instability of the low-income rental market. We do a home interview for every family that we that joins the program. And so we see the conditions that they're living in and what they're paying for those conditions. It's disheartening. I mean, there are some really bad rental units that, you know, they're paying $1,000 or more per month. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live there. Hello, this is Cade Young, the news director at WFHB. I'm here with Ron Ede, publisher of the Limestone Post magazine. Glad to have you on, Ron, during our fall fun drive. Great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, You just heard part of one episode of Deep Dive, our very first episode, uh, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. This is a partnership between WFHB and the Limestone Post, made possible by the Community Foundation. Ron. So far, what do you make of the Deep Dive collaboration? Well, I'm going to uh, take a line from our colleague, Noel, um, who said that uh, it has exceeded my expectations. Um, I had high expectations because we've done this in the past. We've collaborated with um, stories and our writers have come in and you've interviewed them or they've interviewed sources or whatever, Um, but never a long-term project like this every month, just about every month. So... I didn't know how it would turn out, um, but it has been fantastic. It, it, uh, it has even gotten national recognition. Um, we were nominated for a journalism collaboration of the year by the Institute of Nonprofit News, and that was a national uh, award. So it's, it's getting recognized nationally. People locally are, are know about it, and it's, it's just been fantastic. Absolutely. I, I, I got to agree with you. It's way bigger than uh, I had imagined. And, you know, it just made sense with the Limestone Post and WFHB. There seems to be an overlap there. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you in that same vein, what's been your favorite part about this unique deep dive collaboration between these two independent local nonprofit news sources? What's been your favorite part? I have really been amazed at, at what you guys have done with these stories. You know, we've We've, uh, since the beginning, Limestone Post has focused on in-depth stories. So they're, they're thorough, they're 2,500 to 5,000 words. That's like eight to 15 pages in a print magazine. So they're pretty thorough, but you guys always are able to get more information, deeper information, whether you're talking to the same sources our writers interviewed or you find other people to talk in depth about a, uh, a different aspect of it. So it's 
it just really uh, does exactly what we were hoping, um, bringing in more voices, covering a topic more thoroughly and more expansively. Absolutely. Well, Ron, thank you so much for uh, being here and helping us pitch during our fall fun drive. This is such an awesome collaboration. We're, we're so grateful to you uh, and to the Community Foundation. And this has been such a, such a thrill. Yeah, we appreciate it too. Absolutely. Well, to support local journalism, we need your help during our fall fund drive. You can give us a call at 812-323-1200. Again, that is 812-323-1200. You can also visit wfhb.org to donate online. We need to raise $100 during this program to meet our goal for the WFHB local news. We're behind our goal as a whole for our fund drive, so we need your help to help us catch up. If you support local independent journalism at WFHB, consider donating. Again, I'm going to say the number one more time, 812-323-1200. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for supporting the WFHB local news. One reason behind the land scarcity in Monroe County is that we have unique karst typography due to our limestone bedrock. According to the National Park Service, karst is, quote, a type of landscape where the dissolving of the bedrock has created sinkholes, sinking streams, caves, springs, and other characteristic features, end quote. Monroe County Commissioner Penny Githens explained that karst features are always evolving, and she explained how that can result in sinkholes, which are not safe to build on or around. I mean, the karsts are, are big sinkholes, right? And they're not necessarily static. They can grow. That's a pretty slow process usually. But, you know, it's because of all the limestone that we have beneath the surface. And those actually, they fill up when it, there's hard rains. And then they're actually little, they're underground streams, basically, that link all these different karst features that we're not even aware of. And so it just makes all the, the underlying ground and bedrock less stable. And then we also have to make sure that people don't try to fill those in because, again, they're not stable and filling them in doesn't solve the problem. It's not as bad here as it is, say, down in Florida where they have more of a phosphorus kind of, of thing where whole houses and vehicles will sink into the ground all of a sudden overnight. But uh, we do have to be sensitive to that kind of thing. Another issue related to this is flooding. One thing the commissioners take into consideration is how building more impervious surfaces can lead to more flooding. It is very possible that once a development goes up, the additional runoff can cause flooding issues for surrounding areas. You have to worry about runoff. Uh, anytime there's building, you, you know, you're putting in impervious surfaces. And so that's going to increase flooding. We need to do a better job with uh, drainage all around. Uh, we're seeing that already done in the Clear Creek area, some of the building that's going on in the southwest part of, of Bloomington. So it is concern of, of existing homeowners in that area. Giffen's added that one of the problems that contributes to this is that homeowners associations don't always maintain the retention ponds. What we're seeing now is that there are homeowners associations that are not maintaining properly their detention and retention ponds. Um, one is for temporary water runoff, you know, so that runs off more gradually when there's a storm. The other is a, you know, more of a permanent kind of pond kind of setup. So we're trying to figure out ways to work with the HOAs to get things back at the proper level 
and then making sure that they maintain those going forward. That's one of the solutions that we needed to look at. So it, it's it's difficult um, because things change over time. People don't want to necessarily spend the money. It's a tax, in essence, through the fees that you pay through the HOA to maintain those. And they're self-governing. So they have boards that decide what gets taken care of and how much they assess for each of the people that live in that HOA. Githin said there is a lot of growth in Monroe County, but noted the growth around Bloomington and places like Ellettsville. There is growth going on, for sure. And we're seeing that, especially in this southern, you know, to the south of Bloomington uh, on the outskirts there. But we're also seeing a lot of development in um, Ellettsville area. And they they continue to annex new areas on a regular basis. So there, there's a lot of expansion going on there, not just in Bloomington. With, with, with especially with the housing stock. Githens highlighted the importance of planning and building strategically. Even though there is a housing crisis, she is aware of the consequences of putting up too much too fast. We shouldn't be doing a lot of spot rezoning. You know, we should be having planned zoning that people can rely on. I think we also have to be very careful when we talk about housing. I personally, and this is just me, I don't want to see unchecked growth we do have to stop and say we have right now a decent water supply unchecked growth can we guarantee that we will continue to have that house the you know water supply that we need for everything if we have unchecked growth do we have to start to worry about flooding like we were talking about earlier and what that does to things because that disrupts not only people's lives it tears up roads it takes down bridges does all kinds of other things that disrupt our lives. And so I think we, we need to, I'm not anti-growth. That's not the, the point here. But I think we have to have, be very careful with what we do with our growth. Chase Tekenton is the director of The Roof, an emergency shelter run by New Hope for Families. New Hope for Families seeks solutions for children and families impacted by homelessness in Bloomington. Takenton said that the crisis of homelessness is getting worse in impacting broader segments of the population than seen previously. Broadly, New Hope is, is only a 10-year-old agency. Responding to family homelessness is a new evolution in, in responding to homelessness because the crisis is getting worse and affecting more populations, more segments of the population who didn't face street homelessness before. Takenton said that there's a lack of housing supply in Bloomington. He added that the lack of available housing has created a sense of competition between families trying to find affordable homes. Because supply is low, the people who need it the most or value it the most or have enough money to get it will get it. I know that in Bloomington, housing is scarce. Even young professionals, even uh, even people in higher income brackets are having trouble finding a place. He said in Bloomington's current housing ecosystem, it's difficult to build dense enough housing while retaining affordable rent prices. It's hard to build tall enough and dense enough to make a profit and still make the rents cheap. So what you get is called filtering, where people go to the nicer, newer ones who have money, and then the ones that used to be nice and new get old and are in disrepair, and those are the ones that you can afford if you have a low income now. Dr. Jill Pable is a professor in the Interior Architecture and Design Program at Florida State University. Dr. Pable is also the project lead for design resources for homelessness, 
an online source for research-informed guidance regarding the design and construction of facilities for people experiencing homelessness. She co-authored the book, Sketching Interiors at the Speed of Thought and Interior Design, Strategies for Teaching and Learning. Pable explained how housing affordability has slipped and what that has done to the rate of homelessness across the country. Over 60% of people who rent in the United States right now are paying more than 30% of their income. And the reason that's a big deal is that's kind of a standard of, you know, you're able to pay for food and medicine and, you know, your children's needs and so forth. And it gets higher than that. You start scrimping on food and medicine and other, you know, essentials. So that's an indicator that it's not going in a great direction right now, for sure. She said she wants to elevate the visibility of the situation, saying that the housing crisis has been developing for a long time. She said that the trajectory does not look bright moving forward. However, she added that it's not too late to change course. It is certainly getting worse, but unless we start to talk about it, nothing is going to get done. So, you know, society doesn't change or turn on a dime, but I think we're starting to confront the fullness of the situation. Really, homelessness is kind of the culmination of so many societal ills, poverty, racial discrimination, violence, you know, substance abuse, dependency, you know, all kinds of things sort of come and revolve around or a consequence of being homeless. So we've got a tough nut to crack here, but that doesn't make the need to do so any less. Hello, welcome back. You are listening to the WFHB Local News. Uh, my name is Noel. I'm the Assistant News Director here, and we have with us Ron Ede from the Limestone Post. Um, one second here. Um, now, Ron, the Limestone Post is now considered a nonprofit source of news. Um, I was just wondering, could you tell me and our listeners like some similarities that you see between the WFHB and Limestone Post? Um, yeah, I think one thing that really uh, comes across is that uh, WFHB has, what, uh, 150 volunteers, and Limestone Post is mostly freelance written, so we have about that many. We've probably had more over the years, uh, freelance contributors, writers, photographers, mm-hmm. illustrators, whatever. So that brings in a really representative portion of the community. I mean, they're not all the same kind of people and and I think that I think that makes us both more inclusive and more representative I don't know if that's a contradiction but uh, um, yeah I see that as a a strong similarity that's a great point I've always loved that about WHB and um, yeah I definitely see that now that you point that out Um, and can you explain the importance of nonprofit news organizations I know it's kind of big question but yeah it's a pretty broad term but I think uh, a a defining point would be that we can focus on public service journalism. Um, We don't have to answer to corporate um, owners or anything like that. We can, we can focus on stories and and articles that really benefit the community or that really inform our readers that on things that uh, they're not getting elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have uh, focused on solutions journalism, which, um, is rigorous reporting on a particular topic that uh, uh, not only describes the story or the the issue, the topic, uh, but looks at uh, what people are doing to address it. 
and are those initiatives working and how can people get engaged if they want to uh, help out with a particular topic and I know WFHB does that too because we don't have to chase the headlines mm -hmm. we don't have to uh, do clickbait stories just to get people to listen or to read to the website or whatever yeah <laughs> amazing and um, I was just wondering I know you know we know that you can you support WFHB and we support Limestone Post and we just really appreciate our partnership that we have mutually. But, you know, we were just wondering, could you um, explain or maybe like what is your opinion on why listeners should support WFHB during our fall fund drive? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, there's a growing body of research that shows what happens when a community loses its local source of news. And you guys do daily news. We don't do daily news, but you guys do daily news. And um, we don't want to become a news desert. And uh, WFHP has been around for uh, 30 years. And nonprofits in general, as they age, rely much less and less on funding and corporate um, sponsorships and things like that and more on individual donations. So mm -hmm. I think to keep this station, which is uniquely Bloomington, going. I think everyone should donate. And you can, if you would like to, you can call us at 812-323-1200, or you can go online and donate 